the messages today. And uh, as on last Sunday, I'm on assignment. And for the next weeks, uh, we are going to be focusing our attention on a series I'm entitled Discipleship. Discipleship. After retiring from 20 years, a 20-year Hall of Fame basketball career, Kobe Bryant began his second career as a legacy builder. He wanted to make an impact on the world as a great husband, father, son, friend, philanthropist, author, and entrepreneur. He understood that championships come and go. It's really about the next generation, he would say. It's about paying it forward. That's how you create something that will last forever. Kobe Bryant got it right. It's not about how long you live, rather how you live for as long as God allows you to live. Kobe Bryant's vision will never die as long as those who he poured his life and views into follow his lead. He coined the phrase Mamba mentality. He defined the Mamba mentality as focusing on the process and entrusting in hard work when it matters most. Kobe said, hard work outweighs talent every time. He was so confident that the Mamba mentality would work for everybody, he even wrote a book entitled The Mamba Mentality, The Work I Do. Brian talked about this mentality and how he would pass it on to other players, such as LeBron James and others who have uh, indicated that they have uh, followed Kobe Bryant's lead. What Kobe Bryant practiced, the secular society calls it mentoring, what we call it in the church is discipleship. That's how we make our mark for eternity. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ identified the most important priority to him prior to his death on the cross. He told his disciples, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not overpower it. Jesus entrusted his most prized possession to 12 imperfect men. The church that Jesus promised to build is still being built through the process Jesus modeled and mandated called discipleship. The church still exists today because of the template that Jesus set in place called discipleship. His legacy still lives on through you and me. The church must follow Jesus' lead to build his church. And so I want to consider with you today the beginning of the series, and as I said, I'm on assignment, so I'm not going to get a bunch of amens, but we want to be instructed. Uh, we've left church too many times feeling good, only to not live good. We have left church too many times 
uh, emotionally charged but not focused. What we want to do as a church in 2020, we don't only want to be the kind of church that knows what to do and understands the times. We want to be like Paul and Silas who were accused of turning the world upside down. We want to be the kind of church that is not only discipled through the word of God, but that you and I are disciple makers. In Mark, in Matthew chapter 16, we're going to consider four things. First of all, the first will be Jesus modeled how to make disciples. Secondly, we'll see that Christ made the message of discipleship clear. Thirdly, we'll see that Christ provided the method for making disciples. And so he modeled it. He gave the message. He also gave the method. And finally, we're going to consider the mindset that we must have to be those who are fulfilling the legacy of Jesus Christ. If you think about it, the only relationships that are going to last past the time when our eyes are finally closed in death, when our work is done, Jesus said, I must work the work of him who sent me because the night death is coming, my assignment will be over. Kobe Bryant's assignment ended at age 41 at 9.30 a.m., West Coast time. I don't know when yours is going to end or when mine, but I do know that the Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die. But after this, death is not the end. But we will stand before the beam of sin of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that every man's work shall be tried according to what sort they are. Did we complete our assignment? Did we fulfill the mandate of Jesus? Go and make disciples. In weeks to come, we're going to define what discipleship is, and we're going to get more specific about ways that we can tangibly be disciple makers in our own lives in the sphere of influences that God has given us. Somebody say amen. 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 Now, Christ, we're going to see in verse, and we're not going to look at verses 1 through 12 specifically, but those verses provide us a context to help us to understand how Christ is the model. He is the example. Jesus is the template. Now, we think about the best school, where my kids are going to go to college, the best neighborhoods, and how they're going to get the great job, and so forth. But for Christ's directives for the church, our priorities should start with, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things. It's nothing like a child being educated without God. A child that, we, that grows up that has no fear of God. A child that has never learned to acknowledge him in all their ways so he can direct their path. A child that has no experience in seeing the works and the wonders of God because you didn't teach them about the works and the wonders of God. When you teach your child in the way that he or she should go, the Bible says when they are old, they will not depart. The teaching is discipling them. Disciple and Jesus Christ is the model of discipleship. Now, the context is verses 1 through 12, and the way he modeled it, and I'm just going to give you a few examples that we can follow as disciples of those who are making disciples. What's interesting, I said this to the Christ strong men today, that most of you in this church right now have sat under the word of God for so many, so long, that you could teach a class. Our problem is not the lack of information. 
We are educated beyond our obedience. James put it this way. He says, faith without works is dead. And works sometimes is not that you go and do something wrong that is sinful, but the Lord says in Hebrews chapter 5, by now, you ought to be teaching others. So each of us ought to have somebody that you are mentoring, that you are discipling, that you are lighting away a path so that the legacy of Jesus Christ, his church that he said, I'm going to build, that will not be prevailed against, is being built by the work that we are doing. Now, although the main focus today won't be on those verses, as I've already mentioned, I want to use the context. And what we learn in verses 1 through 4, that one of the examples as, as Jesus is the model for us to follow, he refused to give in to the pressure to, re- to perform religious acts for others. He refused to entertain. He refused to give in to the pressure of performing acts of religion. Now, in verse 1, it says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and came testing him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Entertain us. We came to church today. Make us feel good. Tell me about another level for another devil. Point me to my multicolored coat so I can be like Joseph. Show me a line that I can put a couple dollars in so God can, my two will be matched by a million. So show me that line. So they said, show us a sign. Entertain us. Impress us with your theological prowess. Impress us with your hermeneutical skills. Impress us. And so the pressure on Jesus and us when it comes to this ministry of discipleship, we're too busy trying to impress people by looking the part. The Bible says in the last days, one of the indications that Jesus is coming back is that we'll be a great falling away, not from people attending per se, but he said the people that attend will have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. He said they'll be the kind of people that Isaiah prophesied of. He said, well, did the prophet Isaiah say, this people draw near to me with their mouths, but their heart. And so too often we go, we go to church, we look for the church where we have the best entertainment. How many flavors? We go, church is Baskin-Robbins. <laughs> I want chocolate. I want strawberries. I want something for my kids. Kids, are, don't, don't matter that the kids are not growing in Christ. It doesn't matter that Beelzebub is the pastor. And so they said, Jesus, impress us. And one of the things that is dangerous in the church is that we learn a few Bible verses couple more than the person that we're discipling, and then we stop right at grade one. And we're pontificating for the years of past blessing. It's great to hear. I'm so glad that I have the song of Moses, past tense. I got a testimony. I was, the, I know how I made it over. The Lord brought me over, but I also have the song of the Lamb. I got a present testimony. Not only did God bless me 10 years ago, he is blessing me right now. And so Jesus did not give in to the pressure. This is our example. Don't give in to the pressure of trying to impress people, trying to make people think that you don't, you, you know, that you got it all together, that you're perfect. 
The only perfect person that ever lived, his name is Jesus. And the Bible says we have not a high priest who wasn't tempted like we are, yet he's without sin. That's not true of us. We have sin, but in spite of our sin, he said, come boldly unto the throne of grace. And so refuse to give in to the pressure. God is good all the time. And then you go and rob a bank. No, no, that, that's in, incongruent. <laughs> We're not just trying to go through the motions. And so one of the, uh, one of the examples that Christ set was he refused to give in to the pressure of trying to impress. Changing the way you look, because that's the way they dress at my church. Taking this, I remember a bunch of uh, the ladies, I was the president of a Christian group, and they were talking to a seven-day Adventist, and dude was handsome, man. He had big old brown afro and Simba-colored eyes. I had never met him. But they came back to our meeting, and I noticed that none of them had on earrings. Their lipstick was gone. None of them had on pants. And I said, what happened? Well, we talked to Kimba. I said, who's that? He was a Q, too. Oh, man. They, oh, dude, it was over. I said, well, I need to meet him because that was my flock that I was leading. So I went and met him, and he was talking about the mark of the beast and the jury and just what he had been taught over the Christmas vacation. <laughs> so by the time I gave a reason of the hope that's within me with fear and trembling, humbling, we were praying in the circle, and the brother, the little spirit of God, came so heavily upon him. All of our eyes are closed. He just passed. I mean, the Lord just slew him. And he fell. And the Bible, when the Bible talks about being slain in the spirit, it's not falling back for somebody to catch you. It's always falling forward. I ain't never seen nobody fall forward that was slain in the churches today. You're talking about faced stuff. This dude fell right. I didn't know he just fell. And the Lord just, I became a pillow to him. And on that day, he was delivered. And the ladies put their lipstick and their makeup in it. <laughs> and he was still handsome. <laughs> Don't give in to peer pressure to perform. Show us a sign, Jesus. And Jesus said, okay, I'll show you a sign. He said, just like Moton, no, in verse 4, was in the belly of the great fish for three days, the only sign you will see will be in accordance to what God has already decreed. Because when I'm going to show you something, it will never go beyond the boundaries of the word of God. The Son of Man will be in the belly of the earth. And he who was dead will be now alive. And so Christ, I'll show you a sign. Go to your word. In three days after I had been executed. They didn't understand that, but Christ would never operate. And this is the discipline. When somebody has hurt your feelings, when you've been disappointed by someone, your flesh wants to rise up. But when you're operating in the spirit, you will never go beyond the boundaries of the word of God. You will be manifesting the fruit of the spirit while you're in the fiery furnace and flames are all around you and people are hoping you die. You will still be able to say, even if he doesn't deliver me. He refused. He refused to be given to the pressure, you know you're going through, but you're not saying it. You want people to think, ah, okay. That's not how Jesus discipled. Here's the second thing that he modeled. Christ recognized and exposed false doctrine that is concealed from spiritually immature 
Christians. I don't care how old you are. The Bible says that newborn babes, you should crave, yearn for the sincere milk of the word of God. Every Christian should yearn. But when you get saved, you are a baby. You are an infant in Christ. And the Bible says that your adversary, the devil, is like a lion who roams throughout the earth doing what? We know it. Come on. Seeking? Come on, church. Who he made the vow. Guess who he's looking for? Babes in Christ. And so the first thing that a new Christian want to do, they want to learn about revelation. They want to learn about, I want to about astrology. Teach me about the Masons. Teach me about the lost books of the Bible. You ain't dealt with the found books talking about the lost books. And so Christ says to the disciples in verse 5, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the, and, the, and the Sadducees, a false doctrine. And they were so immature. They said, oh, is he mad at us because we didn't bring any bread when we got on the boat? And then Jesus said, you of little faith, didn't I just feed 5,000 with two loaves and, and uh, two fish and five loaves of bread? Then I also do seven. How many times? So he said, my works prove my word, but I'm going to say this to protect you, that false prophets come in sheep's clothing. And so one of the things that Jesus modeled for disciples is baby Christians in particular, you need to, and even Christians, what, who are you, whose table are you sitting at? Who are you listening to when you turn that TV on or, or, or purchase that material online? If it doesn't line up with the word, and how do you know? You have a Bible-believing, teaching church. If you have any questions, you could ask your pastor. You could ask the elders. You could ask the deacons. You can ask these women of God. But if you get caught up in false doctrine, oh, God, I've seen a man he weighed about 90, this 250-pound man went down for cancer to about 95 pounds. Pastor and his church members picking this man up in a diaper that didn't even, picking him up, the devil can't have you. This man was breathing his last breaths on earth. They picking him out of bed, come, you can walk. We're going to defeat the devil. We, that's false doctrine. The Lord didn't say we weren't going to die. Only three people in the Bible that I know that didn't die. That was Enoch, he took a walk and walked right into heaven. And Elijah the prophet went up in a chariot of fire, and then, well, actually, there was a third, no, but only two. And Jesus died, came back. He said to them, because they were immature, like Paul says, he says, the past, the Bible, God has put in the church, the pastor to equip you to do the work of ministry so that you will grow up in the full measure and stature of Christ so that you will be no more like children who are tossed by every wind of doctrine, by the false teachings of men. If you had to be tested about your Bible knowledge to save your life, how many of you would be guaranteed that you wouldn't be, they wouldn't put a bullet in your head? But if, you, if they ask you about your job, or you wouldn't even sweat it because you know your job. But we are in the land of the dying, going into the land of the living, and all the things that we see. So why aren't we investing ourselves in that which is eternal? That's where your peace comes from. 
Somebody say amen. We're moving on. And so Jesus Christ modeled discipleship by not giving into the pressure of trying to perform religious acts. He modeled by protecting the immature from false doctrine. That's why you got to come to Bible study. That's why you need to get direction from spiritual leadership so that you're not deceived. Somebody say amen. Amen. Mm. Here's the second thing. Christ made the message for true disciples that true disciples must believe clear. There's a singular message. So Jesus goes into the region of Caesarea Philippi, and when he gets his disciples alone, alone, he's been followed by masses. Now he got the 12. And he asks the question, who do men say that I am? Who does the world say that I am? And they respond, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. Some say you're John the Baptist. That's good. Some say you're Elijah the prophet. That's really good. He's the second of the two greatest prophets. And then they say, oh, some just say you're a general prophet. Now, I want you to know that there was two groups are represented in this church today, two groups. The one group that says that Jesus was a good man who did religious things. He's Jeremiah. He's, he's, he's Elijah. He's a, he's a prophet. Uh, he, he, he's John the Baptist. Those are men. They dead and gone. They're in glory. And they said, but let me ask each one of you a specific personal question. That one day when we breathe our last, we will have to answer this question. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with this question? Who do you say that Jesus is? And then Peter speaking for the 12, he says, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. He says, you are Messiah, you are Meshua, you are Yahshua, you are the deliverer, you are the savior, you are the anointed one. When he said, living God, you are Emmanuel, God with us. So the profession of faith that Jesus makes clear that every true believer must stand on is that Jesus is both man and God. He's Messiah, would die, but he's also the living God who's always been with us. The Bible says, in the beginning was the word, and the word was what? With God, and the word was God. Jesus is the eternal son of God. And so true profession of faith, those who are genuinely saved, didn't only trust Christ for fire insurance from hell. You have to trust the Lord as Lord and Savior, both God and man. Romans 10, verses 9 and 10 said, if you confess, if you homologeo, say with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is curious, Lord God in the flesh, and that he died, Messiah, for your sins, then you shall be saved. And so the message of discipleship that people have to believe and we should be communicating is that Jesus is God in human form. And then when you trust him, you're not just trusting him to get you to heaven, but you're trusting him to become the Lord of your life. Is Jesus the Lord of your life? Is he seated on the throne of your life? Is he ruling and controlling? Is he really the master of your life? Jesus said to his disciples, the one that was following, he said, why do you call me curious? Lord, but you, the evidence is not there. You don't do the evidence that Christ is the Lord of your life will be obedience to his commands. The Lord did not come to make you comfortable and me comfortable. Oh, he came to give me a good day. He came to make sure I hit the lottery. He came to make sure I got my bills paid. He came to make sure my kids never. No, no, no. He came to seek and to save the lost so that you and I would be conformed to his image. We ought to be looking like Jesus. 
He's the lamb that was slain from the foundation of the earth. He's not a wolf. So when you have tracks and people see the tracks that you leave, it shouldn't be wolf tracks. It should be the tracks of a, of a lamb. The message is that Jesus is Messiah, that Christ is, Christ is God in human form. Are you with me? He says, the proof of who I am is not in just the words I say, but believe me for my works. He said, I'm the bread of life. And then he took uh, five loaves of bread and two fish, and he fed 5,000 plus their children. He said, I am the light of the world. He spit in some dirt, and he converted regular dirt into holy dirt and put the dirt on a man's eyes. And a man who was born blind, now he could see. He said, I'm the light of the world. Let me prove you to you that I'm the light of the world. Let me prove to you that I'm the bread of life. All of creation and nature bows at the command of Jesus. He decided, he said to the disciples, I'll meet you on the other side. But he didn't say that he wasn't going to take another boat. He just decided to move. He walked on the water. And when the disciples saw him, they said, what manner of man? He, they, they still saw him as a mere man, even though he was in their midst. He, he, even, he said, even the winds and the waves obey him. He is Messiah. He is God in human form. And the great news is this, that you and I in him have the authority that Jesus has. He says, I have given you, and I'm jumping ahead of myself, but the message of discipleship is he's Messiah and the son of the living God. And people said, Jesus said, flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you. And here's the interesting thing about the grace and the mercy of God. The Bible says, except the spirit of God draws you, you will not come. Ephesians chapter 4 said, we were dead in our trespasses and sin. What can a dead man do? And the Bible says, uh, uh, but, but by his mercy, he has quickened us. He has made that which was dead alive. Why? By his mercy and great love. And it said, but, 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 by, but for by grace, you have been saved. Even the grace and the faith we receive is a gift from God. You got in the building and found out you already had a seat. But until you walked in the building, you didn't get the seat. So it's by human will, whosoever will, let him come. But if you're going to come, it's because the will of God has worked on your heart in such a way that you had no other choice but to choose, I'm coming. Somebody say amen. Christ made the message clear, but he also provided the method. We want to follow his lead, just like Kobe Bryant has left the legacy, and I'm still not over it. But this young man has impacted the world. And I want you to know that you and I can impact the world. You don't have to have a dime in your pocket, but if you've got Jesus in your heart. Amen. Christ makes the method of making disciples clear. He said, and, and I also say unto you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my ecclesia, my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Christ says, Peter, upon this kind of faith, Peter's faith that Christ 
speaking for the other disciples, that you are Messiah and the Son of the living God. He says, upon that kind of faith, that kind of profession, the way that the kingdom of Jesus' church is built is through, the first step is through evangelism, people coming to Christ by faith. He says, upon this kind of profession, I'm going to build my church. Every time somebody gets saved, the church is built. The only book of the Bible that's not completed right now, that's still being written, is the book of Acts, because the church is still being built. We're part of the building, but each one of us has a specific responsibility to keep adding bricks to the building. And so discipleship discipleship starts with evangelism. Upon this kind of faith, Peter's not the first pope. The church is not built on some denomination. It doesn't belong to the man or woman who gives the most money to the church. It doesn't even belong to the pastor. The church belongs to Jesus. This is his church. He said, upon faith in who I am and what I've done is how I'm going to build my church. Disciples also must rely on the promise and the power of Christ. He says that the church is his. The word ecclesia has to do with a called out body of believers. This building is not a church. The church meets in this building that we call the church. Let me help you out. The Bible says you are the temple of God, the house of God, and the spirit of God dwells in you. That means wherever the temple goes, that's where the church goes. So when I was, before I got saved, I used to think, when I was talking with my buddies, I'm cussing, and yeah, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do that. And then I skip by a church, and, oh, wait, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute. I crossed the street. And then I start up as if somehow God couldn't hear what I was saying across the street. (laughs) Wherever you go, you are the body of Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you should stay home. I can have church home. No, the Bible says, do not forsake the assembling together of yourselves as some do. You need the church, and the church needs you. You're You're a brick in the building. And every time I look around where you should be, there's a hole in the wall. See right through our house. Can you imagine going home today and a big old brick is out in front of your house? Oh, no problem. It'll be back next week. Oh, maybe it won't be back next week. No, you would be trying to figure out what the insurance is going to do and how could this happen and I hope the deductible's not too high. But as a part of the body of Christ, you complete me and I complete you. And we men who are Christ strong, we serious. We want these women to see we take leadership seriously. We're going to model this thing. All right, my wife's looking at me sideways. Praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Now, Christ says, I will build my church. That means that the reason it will never be overcome by the gates of hell is because of what Jesus said in Matthew 28, verse 18. He said, all authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. He got all authority and the power. In heaven and on earth, the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. It will always stand. It cannot be defeated. We have victory in him. 
The devil's trying to distract the church. He's making church the music. He's making church uh, uh, the size of the building. He's making the church the shortness of a woman's skirt. He's making the church uh, uh, how much entertainment and opportunity for program. And no word is being taught. Nobody's grown. The devil don't care about no crowd. But he does care about churches that make disciples. We're not interested in the size of the crowd here, nor was Jesus. 5,000 people, men were fed, got their bellies full. The Bible said he fed them, and there were 12 extra baskets. They had their children and their wives. They ate until they were belching. And then they said, the Bible says in John, in John chapter 6, they, you won't find the word belching, but they were full. And the scripture says that then they said, let's make him king. This dude got fish and chips. We want to make him the social worker king. We want some benefits. And then Jesus, after they were full, he preached to them. He said, unless you eat my body and drink my blood, you cannot be my disciple. They said, oh, this dude talking about cannibalism. (laughs) And really what Jesus was talking about is the death His blood would be shed for them. His body would be given for them. Except you acknowledge that you need my death as a payment for the penalty of your sin, you cannot follow me. And the Bible said when they heard that, many of his disciples, all 5,000 of those brothers, picked up their hats and they left church. And the scripture says they never followed him again. I I, I have to tell you, I probably would be resigning. Oh, Lord, I'm a failure. I only have 12, 12 members left. Out of 5,000, their kids. Man, you're talking about a children's church, talking about a mega church. And then here's what Jesus did. He turned to the 12. And he said, I know Jesus. I'm like, you can imagine the carnal-minded, immature. Man, we had all this crowd going. Could you imagine the offering that we were going to? And then Jesus said to them, will you leave too? Will you leave too? And then Peter, I love him. He said, where shall we go? You have the words of life, and we have found it to be true that you are the son of a living God. There's no better place to be. I'd rather be by myself with Jesus to be in a crowd with a bunch of thrill seekers who make horrible disciples. He said, the method that I'm going to use is me, my, my. I'm building this church. But he also uses imperfect people like us. Now watch this. The Lord could have used nothing, total bohohu. That's the Greek, the Hebrew word. In the beginning, the Bible says it was total bohohu. That probably wrecked that last word. But it means nothing existed. But God said, let there be, and it was. He created something out of nothing. And so when God decided to reach the world for discipleship, he didn't need us. He could have simply spoken into existence, and it would have been. God could have used an animal like he did for Balaam when he was riding on the back of a donkey. (laughs) The donkey had sense enough to stop when the angel of the Lord with a swirling sword was blocking the entrance. And and then the donkey said, you fool. (laughs) He beating the donkey and trying to make it move. 
and the donkey spoke. God doesn't need us. He could have used an animal. The angels were amazed at our, and they say the angels are amazed at our salvation, and, and they would love to give our testimony, but our testimony is not theirs. In, Genesis, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, he could have used the angels, but he chose us. Guess what? There's no B plan. There are no substitutes. You is it, and I'm it. This is the Lord's team. And if discipleship is going to happen, it's going to happen because those who he has chosen before the foundations of the world are surrendered to him. He could have used all of those things, but he didn't. He chose you and me. Somebody say amen. Aren't you glad about it? It ought to humble you. Here's the final thing. Christ reveals the mindset that disciple makers should have. This is your mindset. This is the mumba mindset, the mentality. He said, the gates of hell shall not prevail. Just think about that. I've always thought of the gates of hell as attacking the church. No. Gates are stationary. They are for protection and control. They are preventative. They, they, the gates prevent you from getting in to take out what's been stolen. And so the devil, he said, expect resistance when you make disciples because the devil will erect gates. When you go and try to reach your family and reach your friends and tell them about Jesus and develop them, he will, he will build, erect gates to defend what he's stolen. It's not his. It belongs to the Lord. And so that means that the church should not be in involved in the holy huddle. We, we become keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. We ought to be attacking on the offensive, going to the gates of hell to set free the captives that the devil has bound. So we need to expect resistance. We also need to educate ourselves about the realm of resistance. It's the gates of hell. It's not flesh and blood. We are we wrestled here. We are not. We in, and this is not a contemporary. Get on your Star Wars, press a button, and kill a million people. The word wrestle has suggestion. It's hand to hand combat. And the problem is, the person that you're wrestling against, you can't see them because they're invisible. But they're in your house every time you turn that TV on. They're in you on your radio every time you turn that music on. They're at work before you get there. They, they, you see people, but it's spirits that are working through them. Educate yourself about the realm of resistance. It's satanic. Finally, equip yourself to unlock every gate. He said to Peter, I used to think wrongly. He said, I'm going to give you. The word you is in the plural, not singular. He said, I'm giving you, Peter. That's what a Catholic church, he would say, I'm giving Peter the keys. He, Peter was speaking for the group. And he says to the group, I am going to give the church keys that will unlock every gate that the devil erects to prevent you from taking back what he's stolen. Now, what that means is 
that not one Christian has all the keys. I'm giving the church the keys. So the key that you may need next week, I got it this week. The key that I'll need next week, you got that key. And so that's why we need to come together because the key that you need, I can provide it for you. But if you think you can live this thing alone, you're going to be walking around with one key. And the doors of blessing that God wants to open up to you, but he can't open up the doors of blessing because you don't have the key you need. You haven't grown enough. You haven't come to Christ strong. The key is in Christ strong. The key is in women's ministry. You need that key. Not only don't we individually have the key, but the key is useless unless you activate it. You don't just give your family over to the devil. You're just going to throw up your hands because you, 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 you got an exam and, and you just don't think you're going to pass it. You struck yourself out. I can't do that. I'll never be this or I'll never be that. God gave you the key. If he called you to it, he'll lead you through it or over it and around it onto it. Equip yourself with the key. But activate it. When is the last time you literally took one of God's promises and claimed it? it? You didn't see it, but he said it, which settles it. Activate the blessing, the door that's closed. God will open it if you use it. Finally, evangelize as you are led. Let me say that again. Evangelize as you're led. After Christ told him, I'm the Christ, flesh and blood, and reveal that do. And he said, Don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. Let me tell you what he, I believe that was meant by that. The mistake that we make. We think that we got to tell everybody that we see, no matter what they're doing, where they are, <laughs> they need oxygen, and you're trying to tell them, give them a plan of salvation. That's not the time to give somebody the plan of salvation. You, you're in a room, and, and, and a mom, you're trying to witness, and a mom's baby's crying. she got five kids, and all of them crying at the same time. So, well, let me tell you about Jesus. No, pick up one of those babies and hold them <laughs> until the baby's quieted down. I'll go buy some milk or diapers for them. Sometimes the Lord wants you to be the message, not give a message. Sometimes you are planting a seed and somebody comes behind you and waters it. But at the right time, when the harvest is right, God said, I will give the increase. Follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. Be led by the Spirit of God. Stand with me. I got, I just, this one blew me away. When you get a chance, read the story of Elijah and Elisha, one of the greatest examples of discipleship is recorded in the Old Testament. Elijah the prophet who stood before Ahab and Jezebel, he had a school of prophets. They were called the sons of the prophets. He had a biblical academy. Let's say that's what it was, a prophet. But the Lord said, 
I have selected one named Elisha out of the entire group to succeed you. I have your successor. Now, while you have the school of prophets, I want you to disciple this one person. I want you to pour your life in, in his, into his life in ways that the, the school of prophets, they don't get. So at the end of, stay with me now, at the end of Elijah's life, the Lord revealed to Elijah that his master, his mentor, his disciple was about to die. And Elijah said, if you see me when I'm gone, when I'm taken, I will bless you. He said, well, how do you want me to bless you? And Elijah said, I want a double portion of your discipleship ministry. I want a double portion of your anointing, of your spirit. And Elijah said, okay, if you see me. And so the chariots of fire came for Elijah, Elijah. And Elijah saw him and he said, Master, my father, you're being taken away. And as he's being taken away, he drops the mantle. And he placed it, the mantle is placed on Elisha's shoulders. And when you study the life of Elijah, he now Elisha has the ministry where he's discipling the school of the prophets. He continues that part of it. And he does twice as many miracles. He had a double portion of the spirit of Elisha. How about that? This person that you discipled, they become a better disciple than you. Now, and here's what it gets, here's what it gets deep. Here's what it gets deep. When Elisha died, he failed to pick another Elijah. He didn't disciple anybody to succeed him. And so when he died, his bones were put in the grave. And the scripture says, it came to pass that a group of Israelites were running from the enemy and they had a body that they were going to bury. And because the body was heavy, they had to get rid of it. So they threw it into, an open, threw it a gra into a grave. And in that grave was the body of Elisha, who did not leave his anointing for a successor. When that dead man touched Elisha's body, the anointing that he took to the grave with him jumped off of that dead body onto a dead man, and he became alive. What I'm saying to you is that when you don't pass it on, your anointing goes to the grave with you. Wow. That legacy goes to the grave with you. That power that you, should have dis that you should have disseminated does not become a part of the ministry that God has called you to, of your family, of your whatever, to continue on. Follow the leader. Let the anointing that God has on your life be spread through discipleship so the next person gets a double portion. Let's pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, we thank you. We are humbled that you have chosen us to be a part of the building of the church, the most prized possession that you've left in the world. And Father, we thank you that we have the victory already because the gates of hell. No matter what's going on around us, we have a key to overcome any resistance. 